Hello. Morning. Good morning. Good morning. What a nice change for us. to record in the morning. So, um, it's because it's today. It's yeah. the morning. Yeah. We can't be cooking up a heavy dinner. No. I didn't want to do that. We've had some heavy meals. I thought let's go for something nice and simple. Yeah. Let's make a cup of coffee, a cup of tea, love that. and have some fresh pastries. Oh, yeah, local, I love that. local bakery. Oh, look at you. Okay, yeah. I know what I'm doing. It's you know? like I'm going to go for a tea because I haven't had tea. one today, and yeah. I have a headache as a result. <laughs> um, yeah, let's get this going. Let's get some drinks on, and uh, let's have some breakfast. Lovely. the show in the morning for, for a I'm, I'm bright, I'm, I'm awake, I'm uh, fresh-faced. show's not going to be better, but... <laughs> no, 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 it will be markedly worse. Yeah. Um, so, to reflect that, you know, we've had some wonderful, we've had some wonderful food, we've had some wonderful heavy dishes, but I thought it's morning, let's make it light. Yeah. I, I, you, know the, you know that phrase that's like, often re- quoted where people are like, you should begin your day, like eat like a king, then a prince, then a pauper for like breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Oh, interesting. I, I think that's incorrect. I heard that. Other way around. I, I like to agree. eat light, eat a little bit heavier, then see me out to bed on a heavy dinner. Anyway, so to reflect that, I've got us some pastries this morning. Uh, uh, we've made, you've got a cup of coffee, I've yep. got a cup of tea. We've got two croissants, we've got a blueberry muffin, and we have a cinnamon swirl from your lovely local bakery around the corner. And they look beautiful. I assume the shots are just rolling in front of people's eyes right now, but they look <laughs> brilliant. The only thing is about the croissant is that it's very hard to eat that elegantly. No. They are incredibly fragile. They look wonderful, but they are brittle. There you will got, be flakes everywhere. With a, with a croissant, you know what you're getting into when you when you sign up for one. You're going to wear it. Yeah. And that's fine. <laughs> and especially if you're sitting down. Yeah. You, and I think the only way to enjoy it is to just full send, yeah. commit, and go, yeah. someone's going to go, you've got stuff. I'll just go, yeah, I know. Which is why I find it interesting Susan. that, that, that <laughs> croissants are eaten so much in offices because you're just yeah. like, you're going to, you know, you're saying to your colleague, basically, watch me eat this. It's <laughs> <laughs> just like a snowfall of yeah. flakes yeah. coming down. Yeah. An avalanche. It's like a head and shoulders ad. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, so I think we should start with the croissant. I feel like Let's the, do it. the other stuff's a bit heavy. The, savory then sweet. Yeah, I actually, I like my croissant very plain. I'm not yeah. going to have any jam on it. I think we should That's go. That's fine. I mean, it probably doesn't need butter, but let's just get that. I mean, yeah, to put butter on a pastry is the most insane thing. It is made of butter. This is dense. It's like the size of a rugby ball. This has weight. This is, that's like, you know, Hey Arnold? It looks like his face. (laughs) If someone came in and attacked us, I I, I, it. Forget the heavy light stand. You know what? Let's get this on the camera. I'm going to break this. Do it sound. Yeah. Oh, and then you've got that. Yeah. Yeah. All of it. Not bad. Right. Um, yeah, the, the, the croissant <laughs> as a as an item is so widely consumed, mm. considering it's like this very. I know it's like a sort of pinnacle of breakfast food, but they really are everywhere. Uh, yeah, like yeah. They're, they're 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 very overexposed. I think the croissant. Don't get me wrong. Love I love a good French yeah. pastry. Do you like a croque monsieur? Or croque madame? I do like a, a, all the grocs. Yeah, I, 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 th- I think I think we need a third grok. croc. Croque. Croc. It's croc. Croc. I said croc. Yeah, it's not croc. <laughs> yeah. It's croc. Like, you know, like what, the shoe. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Can you name a third croc? A croc of shit. James, I'm kind of captivated by you because you've cut your I'm, you've I'm, cut yours nicely into a sandwich. Filleted it. Oh, and I've ripped mine. Yeah. But I, I think sometimes so you, when you butterfly a chicken breast, that's what I've done for anyone listening. I think it's equally valid. Yeah, because you, you you kind of engage with food differently. You tear like a like a caveman. Yeah. I fillet like I'm, I've been invited if by anyone the queen. Know, if anyone who knows me, I am brutish. <laughs> yeah. I am just Neanderthal-like. 
Um, mm. Yeah, I'm gonna lather up some some butter and some jam. I mean, I th- I think like with most bread, you've got to get it six a.m. <laughs> Jamie, Lee, have yeah. you ever? This sounds really sad, but if you're ever up early enough, just to go into like the Sainsbury's local on the high street as they bring the, the pastries out. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. You might think, what? Sainsbury's local pastries? Yes, because when you, by the time you get to them, they've been sitting on the shelf and they get all hard and crusty and they, they lose their life. But if you ever are early enough to catch them, thank me later. They're you, really good. Did you see the video on, like, who's doing the rounds of the mice in the Tesco's I Express? I did yeah. see that. Yeah. What the hell? Yeah, so you, you open pastry goods in your yeah. regular supermarket. <laughs> yeah, maybe wait maybe for don't. that whole thing to die down. Yeah. I used to work at a supermarket when I was younger. Mm. And I used to work on the patisserie counter, lots of the counters, and we used to. I'm picturing you in a white and black striped shirt with a little beret yep. on. Yeah, yeah, that's it. <laughs> uh, but hey, George, you know the pastry. <laughs> well, it wish, I wish it was that authentic because we didn't need the dough or anything. You know, I hate to say it, these things just come in pre-frozen. You just mm. whack it in the oven, and it just—I mean, they oh, taste sure. amazing. But even though the pastry is a French export, something about having butter and jam on pastry or even any bread feels very english having a nice cup of tea in this particular morning light a little it's it's now october it's getting a little bit chillier in the morning an idea feels way, very yeah. english what i would have done to have this is actually it, it, i can imagine now sitting out in the park crisp autumn weather crisp mm. autumn leaves and i would have had just a plain crush on cross on freshly baked mm-hmm. with just a cup of coffee and that's it in um speaking of bread in um, Ratatouille. Which I watched for the first time last week. Oh my God. Yeah, I've uh, never seen it before. Ratatouille is a really great film that George hasn't seen and now yeah. he's seen it, yeah. Yeah, I know. And, and, I, and I, I don't knew, I, I was, cause I was doing, you know, we're doing this show and I was like, food and film. There's not Come many, there, and Ratatouille. And Chef Ratatouille. It's the only, the only homework you needed for this, George. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, sorry, I'll let you finish a point. That's all, but you know, and she's like, the key to good bread is not the look. And then she crushes it. Oh, it's the it's sound. sound. Oh, I and know. she's the baguette and just holds it up. And you're like, Do you know what? I love that. The bit in that film that really got me, I enjoyed it. I mean, yeah. all the bits with the rat, great. I think all the bits with Linguini, I was like, okay, this could, you know. Linguini. Yeah. <laughs> Again, that's Ian Holm, who we talked about last week. What with, is with Big he? Night. Oh, He's not Italian. Oh. It's just, he's doing the Italian yeah. noise. The rat, um, it is the rat. And also like, what a horrible character of an evil person. Let's make him short. Let's yeah. make him, you know, evil. I'm covered in pastry, by the way, completely covered. Um, the bit in Ratatouille that really got me, and this is a semi-spoiler, but again, it's been out for 14 years. Like, give me a break. Um, I love the character of Anton Ego, who's the food critic. He's and the way that his Perfect. they do they give the um the bird's eye view of his of his house, and it's shaped like a coffin, and he's very gothic, and he's just such a like a. German expressionist kind of figure, he, skinny, pointy nose. He's judgmental. He's, he was yeah. painted to be far more villainous than the character yeah. was. Yeah. Because what I love, he that, looked as evil yeah. as as Maleficent. Yeah, and they're, they're building up to this evil moment. And then what I love is that it's Ratatouille's moment. And, and he's not, sorry, he's not called Ratatouille. He's called Remy. Remy. Yeah. Remy the rat yeah. makes the makes Ratatouille. The peasant uh, dish. The peasant dish, which is like you know, basically roasted vegetables presented, you know, courgette, pepper, yeah. um, and he puts it in front of this food critic, and this food critic sort of goes, Hoo. and he bites into Ratatouille. it. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. And he and he bites into and it, then, and it instantly <laughs> he's back. There's like this a punch zoom yeah. that just swims him back. And this to color, the like provincial floods, countryside, yeah, yeah. floods the lens, and it, and it, and you're back, and he's a child, and his mother is making him 
um, roast, making your ratatouille and he's sitting down, he's eating it. And honestly, I welled up. Yeah. And I, I, it just suddenly just like, that's bloody Pixar, just got me right in the heart. What? And I was like, that is that is food. That, and, and, and film as well, just like so connected to your childhood and, and to memory. And and this massive character that they built up there for the whole film just deflates in front just, of you. It was a simple execution in 10 yeah. minutes. You know how like the opening of Up can made you cry in five minutes? It was, it was, it was that again. It was a simple execution of build this character up. It's like, I don't like food. I love mm. food. And he's ordering a bottle of Chianti and he's sitting there judgmental you know he's like looking through the little hole in the thing yeah. and he's so he looks like he's so evil and then just that moment yeah brings you straight yeah. out and you're like that's just brilliant when your villain and, and he gave, and he didn't show any expression yeah. he, he he got it and then left and then when your his, antagonist and your protagonist are driven by the same thing which is a love mm. of food that's what it showed in that moment that the villain he just wanted he just loved food as well yeah that's what it came to and, 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 and I had he was searching for something <laughs> oh um brilliant um yeah no it's good it's good and it's funny I love my favorite bit that me and my mate always do to each other is you know when he's asleep and he's controlling his 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 oh, hands ridiculous, and yeah. he does that thing where he he does this look where he goes like <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he yeah. shakes his head uh, for, for for our audio listeners he uh, James just nonchalantly like, kind of yeah what are you yeah, looking yeah, at kind and of then me and my mate whenever we're really like fed up and bored we ask each other a question we just go. <laughs> it's always do you know what that reminded me of when he's controlling Linguini with his hair the rat is you know yeah. It's a, it's a ridiculous concept. Yeah, I know. It's, it's actually so stupid, but it's like Pacific Rim. It's like we are drift <laughs> compatible. It's the same thing. We're just going to control this massive body. Yeah. And they romanticize Paris so well. Oh, out over the roof do box. they? Yeah. And Auguste Gusteau. Yeah. <laughs> it's about food. Yeah. And food Very good. Love. Yeah. So just FYI, I mean, we've just spoken about it, but the film, just, you know, a rat wants to be a cook. He's got a refined palate for I mean, a rat. I, most people have seen this. I don't think we need to explain the point. If you're, if you're, if you're like George and you haven't seen Pix, yeah. Ratatouille Pixar, I want to say, what, 2007? Nine? Correct. 2007, thank you. Um, yeah, I saw that film on a one of my like first ever awkward cinema dates where you just oh, sit there watching play it. Tell. Yeah. Play tell. How, just, so you're what, 12? 12, about 12. Awkward cinema date where, you know, you like hug, awkwardly go in, just sit there like that looking but not doing anything. And you just you just watch the film and then you leave and you go okay bye bye <laughs> that was the day <laughs> my mum's picking me up thanks yeah my mum's picking me up I'm here I had that I had that with the other film from 2007 about a rat going down a sewer which was flushed away mm. again criminal criminally awkward day Nick, Nick Park and Wallace and Gromit stuff, yeah right? not a, not a good film no not a good film although I've just realised like forgot forgotten I'd say. Rightly so. Yeah. It's okay. You know, it's not that it's not like they were top tip Ardman. But I've just realized the villain in Flushed Away is Ian McKellen as the toad. Oh, right. But it's not too dissimilar from Peter O'Toole as Ego in uh, Ratatouille. They're both veteran actors. Yeah. But Peter O'Toole talks slightly more drunken than uh, yeah. Ian McKellen. He's, he's, he's been at the source a little bit longer. Whereas Ian McKellen's a bit tighter. And he's a bit more whispery. He, he tends to rush into a word. Ratatouille, you shall. Anyway, I remember even Callan, the extras bit where he's like, Peter Jackson called me up from New Zealand and he said, well, I want you to play Gandalf the Wizard. And you said, well, Peter, you do know I am not actually a wizard. He says, yes, I know that, but I need you to pretend for this movie that I did. So, so that's what I did. I, I bought into my mind. Imagine what it would be like. Yeah. <laughs> people have got, if people haven't seen it, it's the clip from Extras, Ricky Gervais' show, yeah. 2006. But just could, could, could give you context to people. Um, and Ricky Gervais' character gets a part in a play with Ian McKellen. And it's this clip where Ian McKellen basically tells uh, Ricky Gervais' character what 
acting is all about, but it's just like, so blindingly obvious. It's, it's really funny. And it's, I, I've watched that it's so It's a running joke that all the incredible actors he encounters in the industry and all the people yeah. cameoing are always disappointing in some way. They're always not what yeah. you expect. They're always actually a lot more... Sometimes they're really normal and sometimes they're really yeah. mental, but there's always something about them that's just completely off. Yeah. That, for me... And Ian McKellen's on it was like, he wasn't self-aware. Yeah, he wasn't. He was, so he, he said like, how did I know where to stand? Somebody told me. How did I know what to say? They wrote it down on the script for and, me. And, and, and Ricky's like, yeah, yeah. No, no, yeah, I, I understand know. acting, but <laughs> <laughs> I really just didn't get it. Uh, I, I, but there, I, there were no scripts on the night. And that, that goes for everyone. Yeah. No yeah. scripts on <laughs> yeah. the night. Yeah, well, I know. Yeah. What's so great about extras is that Ricky Gervais is the only normal one, and everyone around him is crazy. And, and Maggie also yeah. is normal, but she's yeah. a little bit crazy. But like in their normal. No, way, no, really. He, he, it's like everyone around him is. He, it's actually crazy. like the anti-David Brent. Whereas yeah. David Brent is the oddball that everyone reacts weirdly to. So true. It's the opposite. Like it's like everyone else is weird, and Andy Millman is like. Mm-hmm. Um, but with the other clip as well, this isn't from Extras, it's from Life's Too Short, but I've watched this a thousand times. I need to Life's Too Short. The, the sketch where Liam Neeson tries to pitch himself as a stand-up comic. Stand-up comic. That, uh, that has become, there are phrases in that sketch, which is only about six minutes long, that I say in my everyday life, like to my girlfriend. There's, there's, he's so good at deadpan, Liam Neeson, that when he says, uh-uh, wasn't me. I was at the doctor's. <laughs> and now, whenever someone tries to call me out on something and I think I'm wrong, I just go, no. Wasn't me. I wasn't here. Yeah. I was at the doctor's. Please watch it. It's it's and then also the, so the bloopers of them trying to film that scene oh, are yeah. amazing as well. I love it when really straight serious actors are actually hilarious underneath. And yeah. uh, you realize I, how hard I, they're I've working. I've seen Life's Too Short once, really liked it, but need to go back and watch it. Because mm. I'm a big Ricky Gervais fan. I never watched Derek. Did you watch Derek? I, I watched the first two seasons. Were there only two seasons? I don't know. I just Ricky Gervais usually does two of them out. Wasn't Derek a bit of a, it started as an internal joke about, or it started him Mm. making a point about being able to talk about people who are disabled or make something funny about them. And someone was like, you can't can't make a comedy series about someone who's disabled. It's not possible. And he he was like, oh, I can. I was like, I I bet I can make a comedy series. And make people care. Playing someone disabled when I'm not and set it in in a nursing home where people are dying. I think it started as that. And then there was a pilot for Derek and there was only one episode for a really long time which was like to prove the point. And it was very good. And then it turned into a series. Huh. Yeah. I think I could be wrong, but like, I remember this thing being more of like a challenge. Well, that's why I've never watched it. Cause I always look at it and I think, I'm sure that's not good. That can't be good in this day and age. But actually yeah. I, it, did, it did have quite a, a following. I, it, the same thing with a lot of like Gervais' stuff, which is like on the surface, it looked like it was really silly or flippant or offensive, mm. but underneath it actually made a point and like had an emotional beat to it. Yeah. Not to now dissect Ricky Gervais' entire career. But actually, no. uh, Afterlife is an interesting one because you watch that on Netflix? I watched season one. The, and exactly the same because I, 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 when they advertised season two, I was like, this show was done. They, yep. they ended the story. You don't need to... And third. I saw the trailer for the season two. They've done three now. They're doing a third. But when I saw the trailer for the second one, it's like, you're just doing the same premise again. He's, it, the whole point is that he's meant to be uh, moving on by the, yeah. by the end of this first series. And then at the beginning of the second one, he's... Still sad again, and I know I know that's how grief works. He can you know come back and if, but the plot of that the plot of that screamed limited series to me. He was at a point totally. starting off where he was suicidal and didn't know how to move on with life, and at the end of the series he finds happiness in other realms. Right, like yeah. that that to me is like okay, that's an arc, and you put comedy within that. I think you can only have a show like Afterlife with Ricky Gervais with someone like it's very specific to him and where he is in his career because that show even though like the heart of it again very sincere and was making an interesting point the whole of it i found was just like so contrived so just 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 explain what i mean by that yeah it's set in a sleepy english village 
uh, which happens to be by the coast, but it should only mention for one episode. But the sleepy English village has a thriving drug scene, prostitute scene, and a local paper that has can employ about ten staff. Okay, uh, and he uh, and, and support him to live in quite a really nice house, which is actually filmed in Hampstead. I was going to yeah. say so that all that was yeah. filmed literally far, like all around where yeah. I used to go to school. Because Gervais has this thing where he's just like, I only want to work with people that are nice, and I would anywhere that's like near my house, right? Yeah. So so when I was watching, I was just like, yeah, but you've cut a lot of corners here in terms of like logic and i and and i feel like in other he did it with derek as well a lot of that shot in hampstead so the thing about ricky gervais making those kind of shows those sort of fairly contained series like you said before he wants to make it near his house with a sort of team of people that he often works with i remember he was on uh i think he was either doing a late night interview or a podcast and it was that that week where tom cruise that video of tom cruise on the set of mission impossible leaked where he was screaming at people oh, yeah. for potentially like breaking covid laws yeah. and the whole thing was going to get shut down and Ricky Gervais immediately came to his defense. It was like, yeah. sure, you know, it's not the best way to behave, but that guy is trying to get a 250 million pound movie made. Yeah. And he was like, that's why I would never, not that I get the office to do them, but like, mm. that's why I would never do a high pressure movie mm. that costs that amount of money and have yeah. a studio breathing down my neck to get mm. it done. Because if it fails, the pressure is yeah. just too much and I don't enjoy it. And he's mm. like, I'm lucky enough in my career to go, okay, what would I actually want to do for a smaller amount of money that can be a success with something yeah. else that just doesn't have the pressure? I um, mean, he says he's like, I'm at an age where I just don't want to work in that way. Yeah. And he was also acknowledged that he's not Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise is a lot better no, than but him. I, I, I agree. When I heard that. that clip as well, it was so different to uh, uh, like Christian Bale, you know, with the shouting about the lights. Because yeah. I was like, you know what? Tom Cruise also, in that clip, you can hear that he is... He's trying not to get more angry, even though yeah. he's, he's angry and he's swearing. He, the point that he's making, perhaps not expressed in the best way, no. he's clearly at the end of his rope, but is, yeah, okay, it's a professional point, which is we need, we've got a lot of, you know, we've got stuff to do here. And it's, it is the thing, you know- there's He's lot... very much the boss of those films. He's producer. But also, isn't that tying you with like the whole kind of, my perception, but I think a lot of people's perception of Tom Cruise, there's a lot of mystery around him, but no everyone idea, always, but... everyone I've always known who has slightly encountered him or worked with him, um, because I have, are you probably in the same way in life? You probably in our kind of fields of work, we've come across people who have worked in some way with him, directly or indirectly, sure. and they always say the same thing, which is 100 percent professional. He's yeah. just committed to think. That's that's why he's still a movie star at like 60. Yeah. I, I, the overwhelming thing I heard now. about Tom Cruise is that when he says something and he when he speaks to you, he speaks directly to you. It's very thought out, direct, yeah. clear, and he doesn't. He doesn't mince words. No. It's like it's like he already knew every conversation that was going to happen mm. and how to have it. Do you know what I'm just thinking of someone you say that is when he just goes, Kittridge, you've never seen me very upset. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's like, I imagine he's really intense sometimes. Yeah. Mission Impossible one. When yeah. he's not happy. Yeah. Oh, I reckon ooh. he's really like, no, no, listen to me. You know, he's yeah, old. Yeah. Uh, we have to get the shot. <laughs> no, 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 Peter, you, you, yeah. you cross the line. <laughs> you, you cross the line. There, uh, a, if you ever really just. By the way, Tom, if you ever want to come on the show, you are more than welcome. You. Speak, speak uh, whatever up you want to do, we're here for it. Um, yeah, there's some great. Back when. You, you, you wouldn't get blacklisted for asking Tom Cruise about a Scientology question. There are some wonderful interviews where he's doing press for War of the Worlds mm. um, and he, people ask him stuff and he just really does not take it well. I think people have learned now is that if you ask Tom Cruise about Scientology, you'll get a, kind of probably a very bland, polite answer and he'll never speak to you again. Yeah. That's why Graham, like when he goes on Graham Milton, you know, you know, they're never going to quiz him about never. that. But also like, I guess you're right. As a viewer, I don't want to watch a really stay. You know, this isn't, this isn't an expose. It's Graham Norton. Like, uh, I'd love it if not Graham Norton, but a comedian on the sofa with Tom Cruise, just be like, so what's Scientology uh, about? Like, yeah, yeah. What's that all about? Like, what, what, what <laughs> yeah. you have powers or something? And uh, they just left it in the car and I just want to see him react. Oh, God. <laughs>
You know, someone asked me the other day what my opinion was of the MCU as a, as a whole. Not what individual shows are like, but like, what is my opinion of the whole entity, the beer moth, the whole the, cake. The, the 13, 14 years that it's been running. So, you know, obviously for everyone, I'm sure, listening We've talked will about know a couple this, of films here. But like, there. Marvel Cinematic Universe. Your Iron Man. Yeah, so obviously, this is, this is when Marvel Studios kicked off its own production of films. You know, this wasn't like Sony producing Spider-Man yeah. or Fox doing X-Men. You know, uh, Marvel started making their own films, started with Iron Man in 2008, and then it has led to where we are now. And it is obviously like, it's completely reshaped the industry, reshaped the way people think about uh, cinema attendance. For better or worse, it's had a huge influence. And so therefore, for better or worse, with this massive thing that's just changed our culture, what's your take on it? Yeah. No pressure. Going from it as, as a whole... I definitely remember in the beginning when the, fir- the first film started to come out and there were hints that they were building to a larger... It wasn't really obvious from the get-go that these films were connected. No. Especially if you weren't really paying attention, you weren't super... In- so I remember watching The Hulk, which was the, the second or third it's film. Yeah, it's second. And they had an end credit scene where Tony Stark came in and yeah. was like, I wanna, I'm want i building together a team. And I remember seeing like, oh, that's cute, but they'll never do it. Ah, like really? they won't actually yeah. do, even though they obviously like had intention and then a few years later they would come out to release the Avengers. I still didn't think it was yeah. actually a thing that was possible. I mm. thought it was a fun little yeah. uh, Easter egg that all of these films were linked. And I, rem- I, don't know, I remember seeing the Avengers and being like, oh, this is just nuts. Yeah. But, but what's interesting as well is they didn't have their A-list characters. Iron Man, which now yeah. is like the biggest, the biggest comic yeah. book character ever, was serious, like B, C tier yeah. IP that Marvel had. Yeah. And then from that, it's just, it's just built. And, and for yeah. a very long time, there are so, there's so many different things to talk about within that. For a very long time, I was really like not anti the MCU. Because a lot of people were a bit mm. bored of seeing the films like three to two or three times a year yeah. come out. I was like, no, I think what they're doing is really special. And I was quite happy to defend it for a really long time. Yeah. And I was always leading up to the Endgame Infinity War saga. And I was yeah. like, this is special. And I'm, I'm glad I've paid attention. Some of the films are definitely better than others. Mm. But I'm so glad to have been on the ride yeah. from my teen years into my young adult yeah. years. So I've always really enjoyed it. That's, I, I, think, I think I'm on a similar point of view to you. I definitely... There's definitely good and bad, and I and I always try to be very evenly balanced because people get people get people crazy about these films. People like, have opinions like, on them. No, but like they either really hate them or they yeah. really love them, and I'm just like, well, it's easy to be evenly balanced. I actually think the whole of the first of Marvel Phase One is kind of like we talked about plane movies. Mm. They are they they are just like Phase they, One. They're not yeah Phase One are, is not doing anything different with um, superhero films other than linking them together. Like Iron Man One caught people's attention which was nice because it wasn't anything we're familiar with before witty and the dialogue was really but good. but two months later they released incredible hulk which was like your basic it was such, such a basic cliched superhero film that we were audiences i think were so tired of by mm. that point hulk's a hard one to get right because as soon as he turns green the interest is over which is yeah. what ang lee tried to fix when, it, when he did it with the jacqueline hyde kind the, of the hulk approach. movies remind me of what the venom movies are doing right now right you've seen them but the way it's, that like the yeah. marketing for venom 2 is with two big monsters fighting each other it's yeah. kind of similar there's something really retrograde about the venom and the morbius you know films that came out from, from so- sony but that is also why i like the mcu because i feel like audiences were so bored of seeing um startup franchises like pushed on them that were isolated and disposable films felt very disposable yeah everything was okay we're gonna begin this and maybe we'll get you invested and we if we're lucky we'll get a sequel if not then it'll peter out and then we'll relaunch something over here and what marvel had done had said well why don't actually we reward your attention for viewing yeah 
these films won't feel disposable because it's actually part, it's an episode in a much longer series. And the more time goes on, the more you'll be rewarded for sticking with it. And the more you can get away with because you'll create an expanded world. And what's great is as a format, comic books have done that for all the time. Yeah, exactly. Like they've always linked to each other and existed yeah. in the same universe and collaborated in each other's I, space. I always think Marvel reinvented the blockbuster. And what I yeah. really think is like by the mid noughties, the blockbuster was kind of like washed and worn out. Look what happened to the Spider-Man films. It's like they literally would, they would have kept making those films yeah. and, until they were rubbish. And do they remember, did. They do you remember some... how many times in the late noughties, how many people say, oh, cinema experience is dead. Yeah, they're going to yeah. close down. There's no big screen yeah. event anymore. Exactly. And so then, since then, all like, the top 10 highest grossing films of all time have come out and have been exactly. huge. So, so, um, so I, I, I like the fact that the MCU was almost like taking into account, we're not going to make these films disposable. We are going to actually engage and reward audiences in a different way. Yeah. So I really liked that. Also, I just thought it was, I'm inherently, and this is where maybe some people are different, I inherently find it quite thrilling when something from somebody else turns up in something else. Yeah. Like it's, when, it's, when I was, I remember, I watched the it's incredible- It's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood me where Leonardo was like- <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. When I, when I, um, when I saw Incredible Hulk, um, uh, which was this is this is this is a blast in the past, right? I watched The Incredible Hulk a year after it came out on a laptop, sharing an earphone in a mock exam hall uh, oh in two thousand and nine, January two thousand and nine. Okay, so why were you not, not doing okay, exam? I, I was uh, well. Uh, people had finished, and some people were doing the exam. Uh, the rest, everyone yeah. was going to be studying, so we were quietly watching The Incredible. So I watched it with one earpiece. Such a thing, I, one earpiece. I know, share. And, and you know, again, cause the idea that like plane, the film would like come that. out a year ago, and only now people sort of watch, and it, and it was like. Pretty disposable rubbish. Yeah. But then somebody, then the guy I was watching it with was like, oh yeah, you know, that's the thing from Iron Man. And I was like, oh, <laughs> interesting. What you say? Bringing them Cross-pollination. <laughs> and so you start yeah. drawing out uh, um, yeah, theories on the yeah, chalkboard. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Uh, and I thought I found that inherently thrilling. I do think that the downsides with the MCU, when it got into like the mid phase, like in the mid, mid of the last decade, is that, they were so invested in building towards something bigger mm. that actually films did start to feel really disposable again. And I, that was my big problem with Age of Ultron, which was like, they were like, oh my God, it's the it's Avengers again. And it's I was, not and I was threat, like, though. Yeah, I was like, I know this is going to be isolated to one film and I know you're bringing in Thanos later. It's not a fun one now to go back and watch because there's not very much that matters from it. Also, all those characters... Uh, always get rebooted after that film. Yeah. So like four, if you watch Age of Ultron, is so straight and boring. Yeah. And now he's, really he's so much more funny and easy. Oh. Um, chilled out. Also, I keep saying also, also, but um, I I think like a high point of respect for MCU is like Guardians of the Galaxy because that's a film that had no cultural attachment. Nothing. Audiences were not ready for that. The it super, looked the super nerds yeah. did, but even then yeah. it was it looked ridiculous. You had a you had a talking tree and a raccoon and and it's very like space punk. Yeah, you, and you, not, not not that's not for everyone. Or yeah, and space punk, space camp and the and the poster looked pretty you know, average characters there but, shooting into but the But that third. I think I think that 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 film is one of the most important films in that, the whole structure of the MCU because people loved it. I did. So I really I really yeah. I you know people really responded to it. And Marvel was like we can get, we we can people are gonna, people are following us now. People are willing to take the leap if we invest the time. And it felt really it had such a different unique tone and voice and like the way that it was directed and the yeah. music that was put into it. It had licensed music which is part outside of yeah. ACDC didn't really have happen. Yeah. And look at the um if you look at the poster design as an example of the MCU after 
uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. All those films are taking a much more cosmic, kind of like psychedelic direction. If like, yeah. you know, the Thor Ragnarok poster where it's like the yeah. rings around and, you know, Doctor Strange, they go, like, oh, I'm going to go, you know, the, the kaleidoscopic visuals. Space punk rock and roll. Yeah, and like Ant-Man going down sub-quantum and yeah. they're really engaging with that. So my, that- my, main, my main thing, like you talked about, um, you know, things being disposable and, and mm. so maybe feeling a bit tired. I really think that they could learn from t- letting some of their films breathe, mm. and because they, they are, you know, they're a machine and they're yeah. making money, so they have every every indicator f- from without a human looking at it says make more, make more, keep making, yeah. and people are hungry for it. But there are so many times I thought I don't want another film now after I've just seen that. Let yeah. this let this breathe, especially after Infinity War and Endgame, even in the gap. Um, I wish they hadn't done yeah. Spider-Man 2, the, Tom Holland's Spider-Man yeah. 2 straight afterwards, because Endgame was such a full stop in a chapter that everything had built to, and I felt like mm. you were just constantly shoving it It was like, I'm, I'm full. I'm so full. I, I thought it was brilliant, and yeah. I'm so full. Let me let me think on that for a year, and mm. then come come back with something yeah. really exciting. To also, yeah, to also defend Marvel as well on something, I, you know, there was, is... I think uh, people underestimate how hard it is once they'd started that train and all those different channels of films mm. to keep that in check. And um, one has to come before the next. Yeah. They and when I watched Endgame, I rewatched it recently. I, I was like, actually, no, this film, this film actually does really work. If you're not invested in this world, then don't bother. But actually, that film to to successfully conclude a series of like 22 films with that with, many characters, with that many characters, with a satisfying, you know, um, emotional beats to it. Arc. I mean, obviously, like there's the whole nonsense, the fact that Tony Tony Stark just invents time travel. Like, yeah, I get it overnight. It's, yeah, I know it's ridiculous, and, and in a little bracelet. As He's well. like, so uh, I did it. Yeah, I figured it out. I figured it out. But um, he, like, he goes like this with some DNA, mm. like twists it the right way. Yeah. Oh. But I, you know, that it, it, the, ultimately Endgame is really satisfying and it is so hard to achieve that. And that film also, I noticed with all Marvel, it's working really hard to give you a good time. Uh, some more than others. I mean, like we felt Black Widow really, like, really yeah. miss, a bit much of a miss. But, but like, Endgame, I think, is working really hard to Sufficient, deliver on the beats. Three hours as well. It doesn't waste your time in yeah, that at all. But, but I, I mentioned that because um, with like, uh, you know, like, when DC tried to catch up and they tried to build their own world and like Batman vs Superman, when people like slag off um, the MCU and, and and stuff, I'm thinking, no, no, you don't know how. If look at the DC, what DC tried to do, that's when you do it badly. That's when you do yeah. it sloppily. You can tell that was messy. Didn't have a strong direction. Didn't really know what it was doing. Trying to play catch up. Trying to imitate something else. And by comparison, you can see the strengths of Marvel, which is like we have an idea, we have a plan, we know, tracks. We, ha- we know where we're going. I agree that like sometimes it's like, yeah, give me, I got, I got enough Marvel. And I, and I was definitely on with the thought of like, okay, you've had your hits, you misses. At the end of Endgame, we're calling it quits. I'm going to move on with my life. Yeah. And then I went, well, then I watched all the Disney Plus shows. Um, <laughs> yeah. Except for Falcon. I have CBA with that one. Oh, yeah. It's a bit, it's a bit, I, I was really excited for that for some reason. Then it was very dry. I don't, it wasn't interesting at all to me. Um, I, my thing with Falcon and Winter Soldier is the reason I'm not going to watch it is uh, it's a superhero genre. I want to see people shooting laser beams out of their hands. Okay? Yeah. Just give me that. I want people to be, see people be superhuman. I don't need to watch The Bourne Identity done by Marvel. It's interesting what you're saying about, you know, the Infinity War endgame culmination, which represented like a, a full stop to so many stories. I remember thinking going into that, a excited for the movie and be curious as like can they do it mm. i was so i was really wondering yeah. like is it possible to yeah. to actually 
make this work and sure they had like two movies in five five and a half hours yeah. to get it done yeah that was like my main takeaway is that like, as you were saying yeah. laying the tracks and clearly having thought about what avengers three and four would look like yeah. and what are the 20 steps beforehand yeah. for us to get there and that can't yeah. cannot be taken away and there was a really cool moment where you, i think it was very exciting to be building up two or three films away from those those last two avengers films and think look back at what they'd done and it essentially made the most expensive tv show yeah. ever yeah. over two decades or yeah. one and a half decades and it was just quite fun yeah. to to have done that trying to think that everyone having theories no no what's gonna happen yeah. is no no but the stone is yeah. over there and everyone having an idea of, yeah. and then time travel gets into it and you're like well this just changes yeah. everything well we know from watching game of thrones that it's very easy to um uh put off your payoff for, for, for something in the future. Yeah. So Game of Thrones would always promise, put some, promise, never promise it for the final series. And then when the final series came, they obviously buckled and they couldn't do anything with it. Mm. What a shame uh, if MCU hadn't had really like dropped the ball. At the... Yeah, but it, it probably would have been more likely for them to have done that. Yeah. I, I went into watching this and I was thinking this is going to be a mess. We were conditioned to expect it not to work. But, you know, uh, people also underestimate how uh, pe people's like visceral response to, to the film. So Endgame, you know that, that moment when they all come out of the rings, right? The toy box just yeah. gets tipped yeah. up on the bedroom floor. And that is, I know, most people I know who enjoyed those films and watched them had like a visceral reaction. Like you and I saw it together and I was like jumping up and down in my it's seat. like vibrating. And I was like grabbing like... it. And I know, I know people who cried. I know people who shed tears. And, and when Cap grabs like the hammer crying. as well. And the oh. fact that that can have a visceral reaction on you shows its hold. It cares. And also, you can't pull out that, you can't pull that off unless that, You've done it for 10 years. Films have tried. Yeah, Rise of Skywalker tried that a little yeah, bit. Yeah, they tried to draw on that, but that only works when Marvel have done what they've done, which is, at that point, had taken 11 years to get you invested. So when this, literally five minutes, that's all it is, yeah. turns up, you it delivers. It's, all your it's friends. the punchline of the joke that they've been setting up all this time. Rise of Skywalker did it twice. They did it twice for Rise of Skywalker. They did it at the end when all the other ships that got the call turned up, yeah, and then they did it nothing. again when all the Jedi were standing behind, behind Rey. Such a shame that film. Yeah, the Star Wars is. We could do another chat about this, the state of well, Star Wars another day. I never thought I'd, I, you know, I loved Star Wars when I was younger, and I never thought I'd get to the point where I was more interested in Marvel and what was happening with that yeah. than um, Star Wars. I'd say like George, George and I probably our early film bonding was over the hype cycle of The Force yeah. Awakens. It was yeah. that that film coming out. That seems like such an that, that teaser trailer. Ago. Oh god, that was 2014, 2013? 2015, 2015. 2015, the film came out. 2014. Either I'm really good at dates, or you're no. really bad yes, at dates. I know. I know the film came out in December 2015. <laughs> oh, but, but yes, there yes. was a trailer. The teaser like came out months. in December 2014. It was, it was, no, 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 no. That was it. Was I, a no, no, the teaser. Uh, it was like November 2014. I remember. Yeah. I remember. It's I, it was, over yeah. a year out. That, was that's like, that hype cycle. That was dangerous levels of hype for The Force Awakens. Even though it's not a perfect film, that film. Yeah, it still paid off though. But um. Just one thing on Marvel as well, like, so we've talked about its strengths. There are weaknesses. There are misses. You know, we, like I said, Black Widow. Yeah. I Thor 2. Oh, Thor 2 is really ropey. Really ropey. Really Incredible bad. Hulk. Um, yeah. And some of them don't work as well. But then paying off what they've been building all this time, they could do things like Loki. Yeah. which is really interesting. And they can do things like WandaVision. Like them doing TV stuff makes so much sense. Yeah. Because they're not doing... In the same way it makes sense for Star Wars with the Mandalorian. I like it with their yeah, and I like with their TV shows, they've not just taken the structure of a film and broken it up and made it slower. They are going, no, no, this is going to be yeah. paced differently. It's yeah. going to be... We're going to have as much spectacle on certain things. It's just going to yeah. be a different energy to it. And you go you turn yeah. up to the film for, for, for those experiences. And also, I inherently don't think that Marvel treats its audience like idiots. 
Yeah. Like it's ba- what Marvel is doing at the moment is basically saying, look, we're going to do the multiverse soon. And we know that means absolutely nothing to people. So we're going to break it down to you gently and get you established and familiar and open to the concept that there are multiple universities. Universities? <laughs> You're going to Oxford. You're going to Cambridge. Multiple universes. Uh, everyone's just supposed- like, Bath Uni? <laughs> I will take it. Um, uh, but and and so you can't just dump that on an audience and say, oh, it's just set in like multiple different realms. You know, in the old days, in like two thousand and three, they would have just like had one film where they probably would have set up the multiverse in like twenty minutes, and then got off and done it. And they're like, yeah. no, you've got to put the time in, sow the seeds, let people grow into it. I think interesting looking back on it and what we were saying before about what it's what the impact it's had on cinema, the blockbuster, yeah. everyone else's impression, like you know, seeing the react reactions from other studios to try and replicate what they've done. And interesting hearing from some of the directors who probably look over the garden fence and see what Marvel are doing and how much money they're yeah. making, how much love and attention they get. And and they're almost a bit like, yes, it is it is a bit of a you can look at a year of films and go, well, fifty percent of the biggest films that are coming out are people wearing capes and superheroes mm. but when they are working like they yeah. are I, I do have, i do have time for them yeah. and like you were saying about people's people's hot take being a, a, a just an impression of whatever the last one was yeah. so i feel like a lot of the time mcu is only as good as the last yeah. hit they've come out with yeah so it could either be a really high or you can come out with something really really bad and it was like oh I, oh I don't want yeah. all these marvel movies they're so bad now they're so bad mm. and the really good one comes out and they're like oh it's yeah. so good. i'm so happy for it so i've noticed people yo-yo a lot on it when it's, it's a marathon not a sprint I think that the way that people uh, assess the quality of those films as well is completely devoid of the context of those films. In the same way that you talked about Tom Cruise, um, you said, you know, Ricky Gervais defended him and said, no, it's, it's, he's making a $250, you know, million. And that's why I think these films should be recognized for. It's like, well, these are part of a massive process. And they're yeah. doing this. So how does that film function within a series? And how does it film deliver that thing for its audience? It's not about what does, you know, Thor 2 have to say about and existence. People, people are quite opinionated on them. They have a reaction oh, because they're... Have, you, have you been online? <laughs> yeah. And yeah, like thinking about people's reaction to it, I remember some directors have come out and not been really happy with them. Like Martin Scorsese came out and made that comment about them uh, being junk food. No, uh, no, 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 no. That is misquoting him. He okay. didn't say they were junk food. No, no, he said they were like... No, no, nah, nah, yeah, he said that... No, nah, sorry, people people misremember that Scorsese, Scorsese quote. Defending. What he was saying was that mean the, the way that those films are produced and the, the type of films, they remind him of theme park rides and roller coaster rides for what they're trying to ask of an audience and what they're trying to deliver. He wasn't saying that they were rubbish. He wasn't yeah. saying they were bad. What he was saying was that the film industry is unbalanced because most of the films that are being made are aiming to be theme park rides and stuff. And what there isn't any space for is the other stuff. The like, Irishman. Yeah, yeah, well, think, yeah, you know, other types of films to get away from that. Well, he wasn't saying they were bad and and people were really quick to say, oh, Martin Scorsese hates Marvel and people were always asking him to qualify his comments, but that... I, he wasn't saying they were bad. Yeah, he was just saying that that it's it's un, unbalanced. Yeah, the the weighting's off. I, I think it probably is a shame that from a Scorsese or any other any director that's trying to do something that isn't that and wants to find a market for that. Mm. I reckon so many algorithms and stock flow charts of yeah. everyone and all the corporates is going. No, no, we just need to keep doing this to make money. Yeah. And I don't want everything else that's good 
in the cinema to become shoved into this very small yeah. corner where yeah. people don't think that there's a market to go see it. Because all we said before is that the the cinema was was had the bells of death ringing for it in mm. in the noughties. and then that was just absolutely not true because everyone thought, well, with Netflix mm. and online, why would you go to the cinema yeah. when actually the market just responded by making films that you want to see in yeah. the cinema. But that's Scorsese's point: is that sure. okay? Cinema didn't die, but the it's the, become the very space that the, yeah the space that the cinema catered for before has become much more specific to those yeah. bigger films. He made a really good point. I don't I don't want everything to consolidate into into everything feeling the yeah, same. Uh, yeah, hom- homogenized. Yeah. Do, do feel the same, and you don't you don't want that. You no, want that absolutely. Be, I want I want to go and see loads of different experiences. Scorsese made a really good point earlier this year in a piece of the New Yorker, I believe, like like a leading uh, like guest ed piece. I think I, I think I remember. And this, it was yeah. and it was really powerful because what he was saying was this wasn't about Marvel films. This was actually about streaming services as much. About, about the space, the lack of uh, spaces where you can go and appreciate films. And obviously like the fact that cinemas are dying and the only places you can go see to the cinema are the bigger ones. And he was, to paraphrase him, what he's basically saying is if you have a carousel, the way that the carousel operates on Netflix and all the streaming services, there's no way you've got, you know, you could have uh, an Ingmar Bergman film right next to the seven seasons of The Sopranos. Yeah. And there is no way of appreciating the differences and nuances of those two works of art together because they're just a catalog of content. Yeah. And I think what he was trying to say is like, it's the difference between a warehouse and an art gallery. Yeah. So, so you go to a warehouse and it's like, here's all the content you ever want. Pick out what you need. Go ahead. And that's what we've been given with streaming services, so right? But what he was saying is, no, you need to have an art gallery where the works of art are given the space that they require for you to appreciate them properly. The lighting, the... the yeah, the so you go to an art gallery, it's like, this is an exhibition on this type of film. You, so you're not going to put a, a Picasso up next to a Van, uh, you know, next to a Van Gogh, next to a, just, just because it's there. You're going to make sure that when people come to see that film, they can appreciate it within the context properly. And that's what cinema used to be doing. You'd go to a, you know, a picture house to go and see... Uh, you know, something respected in its own way. Isn't it, isn't it mental how many times you hear, considering we have access to all the content that's ever been made yeah. pretty much, and you can watch it at any time you like, how much you don't have anything to watch. Yeah. But when that, that factor of when something was just on TV, you would watch yeah. it anyway. Yeah. I feel like it's, it's kind of similar to that. Totally. Like there is a factor of, oh, that's on. I would never have thought yeah. to put that on or watch it. But yeah. here I am watching this movie. I do that kind of at Christmas now, because Christmas yeah. I tend to what, turn on like the original, like mm. traditional TV and have a flick through because there's good Christmas content. But that, that exact factor is the same. If something is on in cinemas, you go, oh, it's being presented to me. Mm. I'll watch it, but I have no interest in just coming up with an idea of what to watch myself. And again, the carousel of content is so easy to just flick through and, and mind-numbingly just have it yeah. pass you by. Like, it's a very good, very good comparison, the yeah. warehouse gallery. Uh, that was, a, you know what, that was actually just, me. Yeah, yeah, that was you. I, I, that wasn't Scorsese, but I was, in, I was, I was yeah. in theorizing, just, you know, to give myself a little bit of kudos there. Yeah. But um, Well done for citing him. What it, is, what it comes down to is a lack of curation, a lack of like personal t- mm. taste. How often I have this, where something is sat on your watch list that you've been wanting to watch for, for ages, and you do sincerely would like to watch that film, yeah. but it's just stuck on your watch list. And it just takes one person you know to say, Oh yeah, we watched that. That was quite good. Or you, or you hear someone reference it on 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 a show. Yeah, a character will say it's like that bit in that film, and you'll go, "Oh, I better watch that now." And yeah. then it's suddenly broken out of this cocoon, and you get to watch it. And it's a, I've experienced so many great films that way that have just been stuck in amber on my watch list. Yeah. And some small small nudge, it'll finally get released. Like I had that okay, really bad example because it wasn't an amazing film, but like The King of Staten Island. Yeah, a bit on my like watch list for 
about a year and it was just there. And I knew I could watch it whenever I wanted, but, mm. and then it, all it took was me listening to Mark Maron podcast and he was talking to Steve Buscemi and he just referenced it in like 10 seconds. Yeah. And I went, oh yeah. Oh yeah, I'd love to see that. And it's just that personal touch, that personal curation. Yeah, you know when I really get through films is, so I could go sometime, I could have a really busy month and I just haven't really watched any films and nothing was out in the cinema. But if I know I have to get on a plane or I know I'm going on a holiday mm. and I go, ooh, time off. Yeah. What, what films do I want to watch? And I load a load of them up on my yeah. iPad and then boom, I'm just like, in a week I'll watch four or five and that's really great yeah. because I thought, what do I want to watch? What do they miss? Yeah. Like, I create myself a little channel. Do you know what I've just realised is what I've had a really interesting thing with film this year where I am struggling. I've struggled to watch films in the same way that I used to because uh, I've had more time at home, much more time in the evenings to watch films. And at the beginning of the year, I was just like getting through so like, oh, like lockdown. Yeah, yeah, films. but but like you know, trying to push the but like trying to watch you know different films, uh, esoteric saying, yeah. films. But I've realised now that what that was doing is you can't just mainline films like their content. These films have to be respected in their own way. Can't so binge them. You imagine, want to sit on them. Yeah, it's like imagine trying to raid the 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 the, the kitchen cupboards at Nomu. You know, right? that, you know. You, well, it's like if I just showed you a slideshow of the hundred best paintings of all time. Yeah, but didn't yeah. really give you time to go. Well, here's where it's come yeah. from. Here's the artist. And not that you wouldn't look into it. But, but the difference like, is, like, oh, you've seen it. You've, you've seen, seen the it. painting. Yeah, you've seen it. I've yeah. showed you the art. You've you have experienced, experienced the it. art. Yeah. If I if I mention the painting, yeah, I've seen that painting. But yeah. It's about t- smelling the roses. Uh, yeah, totally. We're loving our warehouse carousel museum uh, analogy today. Thank you very yeah. much. That's a, it's all it's it all it's all in the tea. It's definitely for the the not that they have any moral obligation, but I think it's an interesting one for anyone running a streaming service to try and figure out. Well, that's what Mubi tries to do differently. So Mubi has seasons, you know, like in, in the same way that a, that a, that, a, that a cinema would, you know, an old an old school picture house. So in the same way that like the BFI will run a season about, I don't know, yeah, Ingmar Bergman. Mubi will do a season about, oh, we're going to do it about femme fatales. Are we going to do this? And so, because Mubi has a lot more films than it used to be because it's had to buck yeah. to the demand, but it used to be the case that like they'd only have a set number of films on their channel and it would be like, well, if you catch it this month, it's about femme fatales, but next month we've got right. these whole other new films that come on. It's, it's like a seasonal them. menu. Exactly. So what do you got for me? So usually we play a game at the end of our episodes. Correct. Well, this is not so much a game, more of a thought exercise. I told you. <laughs> okay. I told you. Careers counselor. I told you. Yeah. Where do you see yourself in 5, 10, and 15 years? What are your strengths? You're waiting for a train. Yeah. A oh train that'll take you very far. <laughs> James and Philippa are waiting. Inception Horrifying, 2010, yeah. Christopher Nolan. Um, I was thinking, I, I told you a few days ago, I, was like, I want you to think about movie cameos mm. the good ones the bad ones sure. i didn't say anything specific i wanted you to just have some of them yeah. bubbling up into your frontal lobes okay and i i you know i was thinking a lot about films and ways which you can talk about them and the film cameo film cameos are everywhere mm-hmm. and some of them are great and some of them are bad right. and i wanted to hopefully by the end of today go through some of the all-time famous yeah. i've obviously got them all because in the interest of time but some of the famous film cameos yeah especially in some of the films we, we think about some of the actors that have turned up in them and i want us to say whether or not they worked yeah why they didn't and i hope by the end of this we can go what is a good way to use a film cameo yeah and what great. is just a horrible distracting yeah. flash in a film that just takes you out of the experience, yeah. right? So I'm going to start listing off some films. Sure. I'm, I'm sure you've probably seen them or aware of them, or maybe I'll surprise you with, with some of them. <laughs> but yeah, we're, we're going to start with, at least for in recent film history, the king of the, the movie cameo, which is, of course, Matt Damon. Matt Damon. 
I've got three films on here. Yeah. I know he's done more. But the three films I put on for his cameo was Interstellar, which yeah. I know isn't a cameo. It's almost an extended wanted, cameo. It's an extended but yeah. cameo. Thor Ragnarok, yeah. which I thought was a good one. Yeah. And do you remember the film Unsane yes, with yes, Claire Foy? Yes. So uh, I'm going to start with Unsane. Right. Unsane is a film um, starring you, Claire Foy. Yeah. Who is it again? It was Steven Soderbergh's Steven film. Soderbergh. He shot it all on an iPhone. Shot it all on an iPhone. And it's you know set in a... It's like a psychological thriller. Yeah, yeah. She, she gets admitted in... She has a stalker. She gets admitted into a mental asylum and her stalker is running the asylum or something. Like, yeah. Really Very kind of like gothic stuff. overtones. Yeah. All shot on like fairly wide angles, fairly CCTV-like, but... Quite ridiculous film, Matt actually. Damon makes the most distracting oh, cameo God, about yeah. two-thirds of the way through. And yeah. me and George went, actually went to a press screening of that. And it, we, I remember laughing yeah. out loud because I could not believe... A guffaw, yeah. Because like, there are moments... Matt Damon is a, a top, top, top yeah, A-list yeah, star. Absolutely. And if he's in your movie, if, if it's a Jason Bourne film, you go, that's fine. It's not Matt Damon, it's yeah. Jason Bourne. I'm in to see Jason Bourne. Yeah. But when he turns up sometimes, yeah. like in the first five minutes he's in Interstellar, I'm like, Matt Damon's in this movie. Yeah. That's Matt Damon. Yeah. Uh, and eventually we, we yeah. get warmed up into it. But talk, talk about some well, of those. Well, okay, well, so look, first of all, Unsane, it doesn't work because basically it's a flashback to uh, Claire Foy's character going through the safety procedures to protect her from the stalker and you have this like voice um, describing all the measures she has to take mm. which is very serious and it's the voice of a policeman and, and, and then it suddenly cuts and you're looking at this policeman and it's Matt Bloody Damon <laughs> yes. and it's so distracting because you're like I'm That's meant to be Matt focusing Damon. on this horrible experience this character is having it, have, having and and he's meant to be just playing a nondescript policeman, and it's like Matt Damon, Matt Damon, Matt Damon, Matt Damon, and then he's off screen, and your and your brain is is distracted. For Interstellar, I think it just about works because not only is it longer than a cameo, it's a slightly extended cameo, but they build up to the fact of his character. They say, "Oh, Doctor Man was the one of the best of us." One of the best. So there is this kind of like celebrity aura around him. So when it is someone like Matt Damon, you're like, okay, I I can I can get with it. That. Still hits you though when you see yeah. it. You're like, oh. But, and Thor Ragnarok probably works the best because he it's like the, that is the joke it's like oh the, the, this actor he's playing he's playing one a, a, a theatre actor in Asgard and that film is so much more fun and yeah. quirky and skittish than all the other ones yeah are. it's like you think you know what's happening well guess what that's Matt, that's Matt Damon Sam Neill and, uh, it, yeah, and it, one of the Hemsworths it, it, in Thor there. Ragnarok there's a scene when uh, Thor returns to Asgard yeah. after Loki's taking control of it and he's doing like a sort of old folk play version yeah. of the events of the previous films yeah. and playing uh, Odin is Matt Damon no Loki is Matt Damon yeah. playing uh, it's Sam Neill is Odin yeah, yeah. it's very uh, you know he's in the next really well. one as well oh I'm sure yeah. but anyway I thought Matt da the Matt Damon well, 3 those are Oh, two things on that. You've missed out one very famous. I'm not Matt Damon yeah, with Gary. Do you loads. remember Euro Trip? Yes. There's Scotty doesn't know. Yeah. And that was that was good because that's like peak Matt Damon. He was still really hot and fresh. And Euro Trip is, is quite a small, trashy film. Yeah. Has some laughs in it, I'll, I won't deny. Yeah. But um and then he he turns up for just as a punk skinhead yes. and does this this, this breakup song. Um but he was on Mark Marin recently talking about um uh, how he turns sure. up and everything. Oh, right, and, yeah, yeah. and he just said, it's because I love to act. It's like, if it, it's the thing I want to be doing in my spare time. I love it so much. I'm happy just to turn up for five minutes and do it. So and I thought, good on you, Matt. Yeah, I started with those three because I thought, yeah. good use, yeah. very bad use, and kind of an in-between where yeah. there's some, there's a bit of a shock factor. It's a distract in the beginning, but it eventually worked. And yeah. I think Matt Damon was really good in Interstellar. I thought, I thought yeah, it really worked. Yeah, yeah, it worked. Um, there's two others I wanted to put to you. Yeah. These are directors turning up in their movies. Okay. Obviously, this happens a lot of, of the course, time. But two I wanted to bring up is Quentin Tarantino at the end of Django Unchained, and then M. Night Shyamalan at the end of The Village. 
Okay, well, I... Okay, okay, all right. Well, just let me just stop in the village because I have seen the village, mm. but only once a long time ago. And from what I've heard recently, if you go back and rewatch that, it holds up really, it really does. well. The village does hold up. And I it would, was a meme for a so, long time. So actually, I would like to go back and rewatch that. So let's not talk about that. But, but yeah. M. Night Shyamalan does turn up in Unbreakable and he also turns up in Glass, like, which was so... I think, all, I think in all of his films. Okay, he's well, in Lady in the Water But he, well. he can't act. And he's, no, and he's not very good. And, and he's just so distracting. And the camera really lingers on him. Anyway... For, for, for as good as he can act, he gets far too much time on, on the... Gotcha. You can tell in the editing room, he's like, no, 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 hold yeah. that shot a bit longer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, me. it's me. Quentin Tarantino and Django Unchained. Mm. Uh, I mean, I think I've seen that also, from Also, Quentin Tarantino turns up in his movies. Okay, so when he's in Reservoir Dogs, that's yeah. fine. I think that character was... Mr. Brown, who he plays, was originally meant to be Mr. Um, uh, Steve Buscemi, and they yeah. switched, switched it around. So he, he kind of works in that, in that film because he's barely in it. I don't mind him in Pulp Fiction where he plays the, you know, the guy with the coffee. It ain't the coffee yeah. in my cup, okay? Yeah. Um, and he always does the same kind of guy. Yeah, really. well, he can't really act. No. He's just, he's just, he's just, he is just a character in real life. You know what he can so, do? He can be enthusiastic on camera. Yeah, that's what he can do. It's not bad. No, he can, he can deliver a line really intently. Yeah, and, so and go, that's for, why I like it for the specific character. It's fine, but then when he turns up playing an Australian <laughs> at the end of Django Unchained, it's so distracting. So, oh. And that's a, that's a long film. Oh, and I think, yeah, I think it was tedious. I, I think it's that brilliant that yeah. the last act I think oh, yeah. doesn't end when you think it does, and it keeps yeah. going. And then to have Tarantino yeah. coming at the end. You're like, is it we starting a new Yeah, what's going on? Yeah. 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 Just to get the Tarantino in it. So so that doesn't work. And I'm glad he wasn't in uh Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Um the other th- well, you mentioned a director going into a film. Mm. Have you seen Manchester by the Sea? Yeah. Right. There's a scene in that where um How have I seen Manchester by the Sea? <laughs> okay, there's a scene that by Kenneth Lonergan, who's the director, yeah. turns up because Casey Affleck and Lucas Hedges are walking towards the car, and Casey Affleck like tell something like hurry the fuck up or something like that yeah. and Kenneth Lonergan walks past and says a oh, nice language and um, they get into this altercation this fight and then it's just this argument and then Kenneth Lonergan walks away so it's meant to be just like a random fight with a stranger it's quite amusing but Kenneth Lonergan walks away and then the camera like breaks away and just follows Kenneth, Kenneth Lonergan for about five seconds on his own like, like he's in his own little just film to really give it time and then it cuts back to Casey Affleck and I was just like I, the fact that you lingered on yourself makes me know that you're the director yeah. I just I just yeah I think P- Peter Jackson in the Lord of the Rings films does the brief cameo that works. He's only ever on it for a, a second. Right. But he'll oh, be a ca- yeah, he'll be a carrot man. Right. Yeah. And he, yeah. He do- he's done a lot of them, but he doesn't. He doesn't waste time with it. Actually, a bit, more, a bit of an extended cameo, but in Manchester by the Sea, when Matthew Broderick turns up, do you remember oh, that yeah. Matthew Broderick? And he because he and Kenneth Lonergan are good friends, and he's like, he plays uh, Lucas Hedges's mum's step boy, boy, husband boyfriend yeah, partner yeah, yeah, yeah. I completely forgot about that and it's just like I mean he's flagged at the credits at the beginning he's like and Matthew Broderick but he tells me like oh yeah Ferris 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 Bueller you know and I like Matthew Broderick I always enjoy his presence example of a distracting cameo yeah but perfect yeah, yeah. perfect because like oh okay okay I'm just saying and I'm like are you going to be in are you going to be in the pl- you going to be in this mall yeah no. uh, moving into some weird and wonderful ones I love this right bring it um, Die Another Day. I know we were talking about James Bond uh, a couple of weeks ago. Madonna in Die Another Day. Yeah. Explain, explain what... Was she, is she a fencer in it? She, yeah, there's this whole um, fencing sequence in the movie where, they, where him and Gustav Graves, Bond and Gustav Graves, the enemy, start fencing. And then it's like, how about we up the sticks, shall we? Let's do it like the old ways. First blood drawn from the torso. And he like whips off some swords from the from the wall at the night, the night realm. And they start having the most insane fight around like what looks like a very posh fencing club and madonna for some reason yeah. is like running this little fencing club 
Which, and she's in it. Yeah. And obviously she does the, the song yeah. for Dying of the Day, which is how, how she got the in. But again, distracting. Like, it is distracting because Madonna, Madonna is like super famous and like, you know. And she has all these knowing looks with Bond, like there's a backstory, but she doesn't come back again or it, not, none yeah. of the lingering knowing looks it's become relevant. It's literally, I've done the theme tune, I want to be in the movie. It's just, or just you've done pouting. the theme tune, you need to be in the movie. Yeah. yeah. But like, you know, Adele wasn't in Skyfall. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Billie Eilish wasn't in No Time yeah, to Die. Yeah, that's a very good point. Very good point. Um, Right, this is a good one. All right. Donald Trump in Home Alone 2. Yeah. So yeah. even though, try to forget the Donald Trump we know today, right? Just yeah. try, really try mm -hmm. and erase that. Mm -hmm. Forget what we think about Donald Trump. Yeah. I think an effective cameo is <laughs> it doesn't waste your time. <laughs> okay. And it makes sense for the film. And you're like, Donald Trump. Okay, in the context of seeing that in like 1992, yeah. I believe, uh, as an audience member, the idea that he's asking for directions because he's lost in New York and he asks this person who he thinks is a stranger, but actually turns out to be a very famous New Yorker. Yes. You know what? In I, that time. In that time, in that context. Also, he's a New York businessman in that kind of hotel. It establishes the kind of hotel it is. It, you're right, as a functioning cameo. You know what? That is a very effective cameo. Now, given the last oh, few years, whoa. incredibly distracting, yeah. unavoidable. You yeah. cannot not comment on that's Donald Trump, <laughs> yeah. that man. You can't not comment on it. But at the time, yeah. perfect. Yeah. Exactly yeah. what you want Donald yeah. Trump to do in yeah. this life. <laughs> And I just saw that on a. This was like, yeah, that's a really, that's weird a really one good that's point. Worth discussing, um, Mike Myers in Inglorious Bastards. Right, yeah, I love, I love that because that was also at the time when Mike Myers' career had basically gone, gone to shit. He made the Love Guru, which is an appalling, oh, seen appalling it. film. Yeah, really, really, and like he was basically put in movie jail, which is understandable. I think he's out now. He's out of movie, Jeff. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, you turned up a Bohemian Rhapsody. He's Bohemian Rhapsody, yeah. yeah, that was on my list as well. Oh, yeah, yeah. well, Mike Myers. And, see, the Bohemian Rhapsody one makes sense because it's the comment of the way he was a larger-than-life character as well. That is the well, biggest is amount of nuance there is in that film. Yeah. Um, but in, uh, in, in Glorious Bastards, I also think it works because he's, he's famous for playing a uh, horrible caricatured stereotype of a Brit with Austin Powers, right? Yeah. And here he is again playing what could be like Austin Powers' father yeah. in, in, in the wartime. And... Uh, and it kind of works. You've got Churchill sitting in the corner of the room. And yeah. I, I think it works. Effective. I think it's very effective. This is a weird one. Because you, you, we've got a mixture here. There's actors cameoing as characters. Yes. And there's people cameoing as themselves. Oh, yeah. I've got one for you as well. Yeah, go on. Well, this is, this is, this is really the, the fuck, head fuck of a one. Yeah. Pardon my language. But it's in Ocean's 12 when Julia Roberts, as Tess, the character, has to pretend to be Julia Roberts. Oh, God, I don't yeah. remember that. That film is not a good film. And they run out yeah. of ideas. And they're like, oh, let's, let's have this scene where um, Matt Damon is literally like, I think she, you know, don't you think she looks like Julia Roberts? And then she has to, and, 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 and as an audience member, you're like, uh, your brain's doing the homework. So hang on, so she's Julia Roberts, but she's not Julia Roberts, but she's played by Julia Roberts. Anyway. It's like in uh, Avengers when uh, Robert Downey makes a reference to Jeff Bridges. Yeah. When Jeff Bridges plays yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Obadiah State yeah, in the first yeah. one. You're like, ah, oh, this doesn't make sense. But <laughs> yeah, you yeah. Anyway, uh, speaking of Avengers, Joe Russo in the beginning of Avengers Endgame in the... In the yeah, there was the Grease the, Circle. The, the, the Grease Circle run by Captain America. Uh, it wasn't distracting because um, I don't know... I, I don't know what Either, didn't know what either of the Russos looked like right. and he was effective enough. He was, you know, I would have believed that was, it was a It was a strangely um, sort of emotional cameo. Yeah. Like, it, it, I'd love to hear like the reasoning behind it. I've not really looked into it, but it's one of those, he has this really yeah. uh, heart-wrenching line about losing his loved one. You're yeah. like, there you go, Joe Russo, get in your movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, why not? Maybe maybe somebody fell out that day or maybe um, he just thought, I wrote this really emotional beat, I'd like to deliver it. Yeah. Well, this next one is a great, weird and wonderful go one. On. The Prestige. 
Oh, yeah, I love this one. Oh, I love it. I love it's it. It's so good. Oh, no, obviously. Okay, okay, okay. I'll do it. I'll do it. Okay, okay. <laughs> I love The Prestige. And one of my, love uh, the one Prestige. of my favorite films. And I've seen it so many times. And you're watching this film. And you will be having a good time because it is a great time. Fantastic you're halfway film. through. You've got human ja- Hugh ja- human Jackman. Human Jackman. <laughs> you've got Hugh Jackman doing his thing. You've got Christian Bale doing his thing. And just when you think this film can't get any weirder, stranger, better, David Bowie walks in. <laughs> As Nikola Tesla. As Nikola Tesla. And gives a brilliant performance. Brilliant performance, slightly dodgy accent. But but also, have you heard Christopher Nolan's reasoning for that? No, go on. He was like, Nikola Tesla was such a pioneer and avant-garde figure in his day and age. Yeah. With, you know, so ahead of his time. He needed someone or wanted someone who captured that kind of vision. And he was like, David Bowie is is like the Nikola Tesla of our age. we, We need that kind of cultural figure to come in and play him. And David Bowie was like, yeah, sure. He had that like half mid stare visionary look to him where he, he could understand things that we couldn't even under, like think of understanding yet. Yes, Mr. Angier, have you considered the cost? Uh, price is not an object. No, but have you considered the cost? <laughs> <laughs> and Andy Serkis, like his little... Yeah, eagle. as Eli. Yeah. The guy. yeah, also, I mean, Andy, Andy Serkis, that... Just referencing what we talked about last week, mm. guy's good in everything. Oh, and he's fantastic. He turns up, he delivers. He fantastic. commits. Um, yeah, I love that about uh, Bowie being in that. Yeah. Okay. This is a very different one. Daniel Craig in The Force Awakens. Yeah, plays a stormtrooper. Plays right? a stormtrooper there. Yeah, um, he has a couple of lines. You know what? I'm fine with that because that was one of those things that... Uh, you're not aware. It doesn't distract you when you watch it first time. When you're aware of it the second time, it's like a neat little thing. And you read the story behind it. He was shooting Bond over this uh, yeah. on the opposite soundstage, and they walked in. And he, um, apparently, he asked to be like in it barely. He literally yeah. asked, "I just want to do anything." And yeah. he said, and J.J. Abrams gave him a whole scene." Yeah, I know, but it's but it's great. And when you when you listen back, you're, oh, that is Daniel Craig yeah. in there. Um, yeah, that works. That's a good. He one. always always like, "I never got paid." <laughs> <laughs> Probably made about eighty million. Yeah, per yeah. Bond film. Uh, I'm gonna. Do I think we've got we've got plenty, but I don't want it to go on okay. for too long. Last last one, Johnny Depp in Twenty One Jump Street. Yes, which is a weird one. Yes, but I thought really good. Right, Twenty One Jump Street used to be a TV series, and they rebooted it, made it into films with Jonah Hill and Channing Tatum. Yeah. In this film with Jonah Hill and Channing Tatum, there is an, uh, a biker gang, and one of the biker gangs strips his makeup off, and it turns out to be Johnny Depp and one of the other actors who used to be in the TV series. Johnny Depp used to be in Twenty One Jump Street, the TV series. Yeah. So he turns up in character as his old character from Jump Street with this other guy who also used to be in Jump Street, and then they get shot. And it's like a real huge guns pointing at people, yeah. action sequence, very intense dialogue, yeah. and it's all just there. It's Johnny Depp, and you're like, wow, yeah, that's yeah. full on. Yeah, and he get, he's in prosthetics, then he takes the prosthetics off. There's definitely a difference between, just to wrap this up, between an actor coming in to play a part, sort of yeah. leaning more towards Interstellar, and like an extended cameo piece like yeah. the Johnny Depp and yeah. uh, the, what was the other one? Tom Cruise in Tropic Thunder. Yeah, where it's like, you know the audience is going to react to this, but not because it's who the character is, but because it is this famous face. It's yes. this famous person, yeah. So so what what would you say, look, George, you, you get to decide all films going forward. A, a, anytime someone's going to have a cameo, they go, yeah. well, we have to give George a call and, and okay. he needs to give the approval uh, of yes or no. Sure. What are the rules, the guidelines, the parameters for effective cameo use? I'd say short, sweet, and discreet. Mm. I'd say you keep it tight and it's, and it's a nice, rewarding... Um, wink to the audience and any and then if any audience member doesn't get it then they won't feel excluded if any audience member doesn't enjoy it then it's over quickly you can move on with the film and it doesn't disrupt the verisimilitude of the film okay word and i hope you have like a whole pamphlet on just how to use matt damon 
Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Matt, you have different rules, okay? <laughs> Matt's not, he's like, can I, can I, can I be in it? I, I think also the tone of the film is, is, is vital. Oh, like I said, like, it, like with Unsane, he completely derails it. You so need I to be screened the film entirely. Short, sweet, and discreet, baby. There you go. Do, do you remember Michael Jackson in Men in Black 2? <laughs> I want to be Agent M. I can be M. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.